0: Welcome back. It's actually Wednesday, but but happy Tuesday. How are you? I haven't seen you in like 48 hours.
1: I know. Boy, that was really fun getting to see you in person. And you were really just killing it there at the Principal's first conference and also in the ratings for the Bulwark podcast. <laughs> I mean, this is this is pretty impressive. I feel like I should be, you know, laying down a red carpet for you.
0: you the man. I would just settle for bagels in, <laughs> in the morning. But, you know, the John Bolton's a challenge because he's a very, very smart man. He's been around forever. Yep. But we were sitting there doing a one-on-one interview in front of a big sign that said, principles first. And, and here's a guy that, instead of testifying <laughs> huh? voluntarily, saved it for a book. And I guess yeah. I wanted to probe his his principles there. And again, he's a very bright guy. He's, he's not a frail flower. He wasn't going to wilt under the questioning. So I thought I'd give him a chance to answer the questions.
1: You did it very deftly, I would say, because first you were very direct and you said, look, I've got some problems with these things and here's your chance to respond. You know, you did start out with what were you thinking, which is, <laughs> which is really the question of the hour. But, you know, first of all, it was a good exchange because it wasn't just, you know, a confrontation. I mean, it was also a discussion. So it was a really interesting probing of of the Trump administration's foreign policy. You got into... You know, who is responsible for the debacle that was Afghanistan? And, and certainly there is shared blame there between the two administrations. And you got into really substantive things like that with him. And he does have a lot to offer on many subjects. That much having been said. Yeah, okay. I am yes. reading.
0: But. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's go a little deeper, shall Mm -hmm. we, into the what were you thinking matter. Because I think when you read his book, it does become clear that this is someone who is just so in love with the power and being in the room. But the name of the book is In the Room Where It Happened. He's so in love with all that that it really did blind him and cause him to make some really bad decisions. Charlie, you read this book and he recites, he obviously takes careful notes Mm. every day. He recites chapter and verse of some of the stupid, crazy things that Trump would say, but he doesn't fact check them. He just says, and then he said this, and then he says that every now and then he'll say, well, that wasn't really true. But mostly he just throws it out there, which is very weird. And then I can't get away from the whole ego part of this. You know, he repeats every story where someone of stature references him, like Theresa May said, oh, we wouldn't expect that of you, John, showing that she knew his reputation, for example, for being a Mm -hmm. hawk. And, you know, he preens and you can almost see him little sort of shaking his shoulders like she knows about me, you know. And he does that time and again. Throughout the book, you know, where it's all about him, it's all about what people say about him, even what Trump says about him. He kind of hangs on Trump's words to to get praise from Trump. And you think to yourself, like, John Bolton must have 160 IQ, you know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and but he's thirsty. Yes. He needs the validation. He's so he thirsty.
1: <laughs> yes. And it's just bizarre that he's panting after praise from this lunatic, insurrectionist moron named Donald Trump. I'm sorry. I find that hard to put together.
0: Well, that's what I was asking him. What were you thinking when you went to work for him? You know, he had trashed everything you had stood for. You know, he had trashed every one of your previous bosses. You know, you were a hawk and an inventionist, and he ran on on America first. And yet you would go on Lou Dobbs' show on Fox News, and— you would give him a tongue bath and defend him when he met with the Russians in the Oval Office yep. or when he called for aides who were worried about uh, Trump's uh, relationship with Putin to be fired. And you know what all that was? I mean, all of that was his panting after this job. He was sucking up to the His Donald audition. Trump. It was, it was his yeah. audition. He wanted it. So when he sat there and he said, you know, somebody had to be the national security advisor. Well, well uh-huh. yeah, but come on. <laughs> and and was, actually, part of me did expect that maybe he would say, in retrospect, given everything he's learned about Donald Trump, that, yeah, that was his bad. He was wrong about that. But mm-hmm. no.
1: Yeah. I mean, can you imagine somebody like, um, oh, I don't know, Dean Acheson or... Even a figure from the more recent past, Cyrus Vance, can you imagine people like that having so little sense of their own dignity and stature that they would suck up to a figure like Trump? Maybe they would, but I find it really distasteful. I mean, I I do respect John Bolton for his intellect, but honestly... I have a lot of trouble with this.
0: Well, that's an interesting point about, you know, about people like Dean Acheson because these were people who were men and women of substance, uh, you know, Madeleine mm-hmm. Albright, who mm-hmm. had established their own independent identities and independent legacies, and they weren't drawing all of their power from the reflected light of the Orange God King. Now, now John Bolton, with his long record, certainly could have gone that route. Instead, he didn't. However, in a Trump 2.0 we might find ourselves missing the John Boltons of the world because there will be nobody like that in the room anymore who's willing to break with them or push back, you know. Yeah. As, I, as, as I said, you laugh now, but when Steve Bannon is the Secretary of State and, you know, Kash Patel is Secretary of, of Defense and Carrie Lake is Attorney General, you know, you're going to look yeah. back on this as a kinder and gentler era. <laughs> oh, God, good. So you had some thoughts yes. about Mike Pompeo. Yes. But it's interesting because Will Salatin, Will Salatan on the podcast this morning, you know, kind of liked some of Pompeo's comments at CPAC. What was your take?
1: Okay. So I didn't see what he said at CPAC. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of this, Charlie. Yeah. But a couple of years ago, thinking think in maybe 2019, Mike Pompeo had a little tiff with a, an NPR reporter named Mary Louise Kelly. Oh, I remember
0: this. Okay. You remember this? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Flashing back,
1: yeah. All right. So she had just come back from Iran. She was going to be interviewing him. And then she asked him a question about Ukraine. Because at the time, former Ambassador Marie Ivanovich was, I guess, testifying before Congress. And I think she might have asked Pompeo whether he thought he owed Marie Ivanovich an apology. Because, you know, he was Secretary of State and he failed to defend his person who was being wrongly accused of wrongdoing, etc. And um, he went ballistic. So he ended the interview very abruptly. Then he asked his assistant to call Mary Louise Kelly into his office, private office, and to come without recording materials. So she goes, and he reams her out using profanity. She said it went on for longer than, that the screaming went on longer than the interview. And part of what he said to her was, do you think anyone gives an effing, you know, whatever about Ukraine? And then he said to one of his aides, he said, I bet you couldn't even find Ukraine on a map, he says to Kelly. And so he asks an aide to bring in a blank map of the region with no countries, you know, labeled or of the world and says, point to Ukraine. So she does. And then later he says something along the lines of, in a tweet or something, he says, well, Bangladesh is not Ukraine, implying that she had pointed to Bangladesh, which she didn't. She had done reporting from Russia. She's a foreign correspondent. She knew where Ukraine was, you know, but he was so petty and such a small person. And petulant. Yes, and petulant. Okay, so he did this, and it was a story at the time, and uh, she wrote about it and other people wrote about it, and, and he didn't deny it at the time. It was sort of a very weaselly sort of thing. He didn't say she pointed to Bangladesh. He simply said, Bangladesh is not Ukraine. Pretty, that's constructively accusing her of getting wrong. Anyway, time goes by. Now he has published a memoir. And in the memoir, apparently, I'm basing this on a review by Barton Swaim in the Wall Street Journal. He spends apparently half the book on his feuds with various people in the press, including Mary (laughs) Louise Kelly. And he repeats this false story in his memoir. which has been thoroughly debunked. And it's just, oh. So I don't know. Just thought I'd mention it.
0: It's just reprehensible. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today.